it's almost that time of year again. Time to get our perennial beds and borders in shape. Today's guest, Carrie Ann Mendez, has written two books on helping us do just that. Hello again and welcome. It's Ken Drews. You're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. My guest today is Carrie Ann Mendez, and she is the author of the Ultimate Flower Gardener's Top Ten Lists. And these are guidebooks. I say these because she also has one for shade, for beautiful shade gardens. And they're they're really handbooks. They, they have a few illustrations, but they're mostly things to do, and the top ten things to do, the top ten plants that will be the stalwarts of your perennial gardens, the top 10 plants that will bloom their heads off, the top 10 annuals, perennials, shrubs, and how to care for them. My guest today is Carrie Ann Mendez, the author of The Ultimate Flower Gardener's Top 10 List. And Carrie has spoken to thousands of people, uh, thousands of people attend classes that she gives, and she gives garden talks, and she and her husband, Sergio, have conducted over a thousand home garden consultations and designs, and uh, she's a very popular presenter at garden shows and symposia and other events, and Carrie has written for just about every major garden publication. I want to welcome <laughs> Carrie to Ken Drew's Real Dirt. How are you? Good, Ken. How are you doing? I know you have a little bit of a cold, and I appreciate that you've that you're muscling through. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little snuffleopolis or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, you know, we gardeners are tough. We press through, and uh, my gosh, the weather that we've been having, I'm getting antsy to get out there and start digging. It's, um, you know, I'm energized at this point with this incredible weather. Yeah, well, th this is 2012. I almost said 2011. <laughs> yeah, And yeah. 2011 was hundreds of inches of snow and cold, and 2012 has been strangely mild, and I'm just hoping that the buds don't break and all those other things happen. I know. I, I was talking to a group yesterday in, uh, in the Berkshires, Massachusetts, and we were going through some things to jumpstart our gardens for a fabulous uh, summer display and harvest. And uh, I think I, at the end of the talk, I wanted to just hold people back because I could see them reaching for their shovels and thinking, okay, we can do it now. But we got to remind ourselves not to be tricked into jump-starting too early because this weather is unusual, and we don't know what month, what March may hold for us. So um, anyway, you know, one of the things I was sharing, if you don't mind me, because I got a great response from the group yesterday, sure. was one of my, um, my little tricks of jump-starting all the gardens at the same time, usually sometime at the end of March. I will use a organic granular fertilizer. Um, uh, I use either Gardener Supply Company or different uh, products from independent garden centers, and I'll just get like a 555 or 5105, and I'll cast it over everything in my yard with the exception of my lawn, but I'll put it on all my perennial beds, my flowering shrubs, my climbing vines, my ground covers, and I'll do it just before it's going to rain so it all washes right down mm -hmm. to the roots that are like gobbling it up, and it gives them an incredible jump start for uh, the season. Well, that's that's interesting because that's just what I want to talk to you about. Um, if we have time, we can talk about beginners and beginning a perennial better border. But uh, this time of year, you've mentioned one thing. What are some of the other things that you do to prepare uh, a perennial garden for the upcoming season? Well, you know, this is as the ground is warming, and um, I know it's, people don't want to hear the word weed because we just shrink away and go, I don't want to deal with weeding. But 
one of the things I do before I put on a new uh, application of mulch every spring, I will walk around my beds as they're all just starting to wake up, looking a little scrappy out there. But any of the perennial weeds that are you know, starting to show their little faces that made it through from last year, this is when I'll weed them out and get, a, you know, again, a jump start to reduce my problems for the rest of the year because I have more time on my hands right now in March, early April. And this is the time to do some of the things that we may not have caught up with last summer or fall um, when we finally put the gardens to bed. So, yeah, I do, I do a little bit of weeding. Um, and in, another thing I do, excuse me, it's my gravelly voice, but this is key for me also the end of March, first part of April. I'm really into organic lawn care, really lush looking great lawns. Mm -hmm. So another thing I do when our forsythia are in bloom here, doesn't matter where you are, I'm in upstate New York, track your forsythia, and uh, I will put down a corn gluten fertilizer on my lawn, which is high in nitrogen, and it's also a, um, has been proven to be a pretty good pre-emergent weed killer. And so that's another thing I'm loading up, get my bags ready so that when the time when it gets warm enough that everything really starts taking off, I've got my fertilizer from my lawn and my garden ready to go and just jumpstart the season. Well, with the corn gluten, do you just do it in the spring or do you do it again in the fall? You know, a lot of people do a second because there is a second germination, as you know, um, sometime in August or um, early fall. But I personally don't. I find that um, it's expensive. Let's face yeah, it, that organic expensive. lawn is expensive with the corn gluten so i have found that doing my application at a timely time in the spring and putting down a good feed at that point and a, and a weed eliminator and if i do that every year gradually i win the war against weeds because it continues to target any seeds that have come into my yard either old seeds that come to the surface or um, new seeds that have blown in from my neighbor's yards. Um, mm. So I just, I do it once a year just because of economy and my time. But I find once a year has been fine for my, my yard. Have you ever tried the corn gluten in the perennial beds too? You know, I don't. And so many people ask me that because, you know, I hate to weed. And really, that's probably the least amount of my maintenance in my bed. But um, because I want to have reseeding uh, biennials, like my foxgloves, my forget-me-nots, my wallflowers, you know, hollyhocks, all these plants that need to reseed in order to have progeny. If I use the corn gluten in my beds, then the corn gluten is does not it's not descript it's not going to target just the bad seed. Mm -hmm. It's going to target any seed. And because I love a cottage look and just great flowers, even annuals that reseed, I do not use it in my perennial beds. I just use it on the lawn. Well, you or were between stepping stones and all that. You were talking about. Uh right before you said the lawn you said that you do a little bit of weeding and then you mulch yeah so tell me about what you mulch with and how you mulch your perennial bed um i usually because again uh the timing of applying the mulch it depends on if you have sandy soil clay soil what zone you are i mean gosh that's those variables are going to affect the timing for all of us but this is the green flag for me for anyone is I wait until I see new growth breaking through my gardens, my perennial gardens, and when the growth is up uh, two, three inches or so, so I can see the crowns of my perennials, that's when I start mulching. One of the mistakes I see is people get antsy. They don't know what to do with themselves, so they start throwing mulch down on cold ground where plants haven't even germinated yet. And that just slows the warming of the soil 
and can actually encourage crown rot. Mm. So I tell people, hey, hold back, do some other stuff, sharpen your tools, do, but wait until you see that new growth emerging from the soil, a couple inches, two, three, four inches up, and then mulch around the plants that are coming up. As far as the product, um, I either use an aged manure product, um, an aged compost, or a very finely shredded wood product. Um, and I put it down two to three inches thick around all my plants. Mm. Uh, well, <laughs> that's good. That's good advice. <laughs> well, I know, you know what? I hear people go, oh, man, that sounds like work. But this is my point, is that by doing it the way I'm doing it, I now spend very little money on fertilizer because I'm naturally enhancing the quality of my soil. I'm reducing the amount of dollars it costs me to water my gardens because now I have more moisture retentive soil with that organic matter that's filtering down into my soil. And I'm conserving the amount of water I'm using and water's getting more and more expensive and it's a natural resource. We should mm-hmm. be you know, sustainable gardeners and it makes the gardens look great. So I'm, and one other thing, it reduces the temperature swings in the soil, especially for really hot baking spots, which then reduces the stress to my plants, which means I have healthier plants that overwinter better and I have less loss. It sounds like you uh, cleaned up last fall. <laughs> I did. Yes, I did. I left some plants up for winter interest for bird feed, you know, like my coneflowers and my thistles and my globe, you know, my globe thistle and sea hollies and things like that. But for the most part, I'm, I'm really into power tools, and I grab my 22-inch bar hedge trimmer, Black & Decker, and I just sweep through the gardens, and uh, my herbaceous, my perennial gardens. Mm-hmm. And I... I really believe in a fall cleanup, especially like after last year when it was so wet, a lot of fungal diseases, um, bugs, and by eliminating foliage that's infected and getting it off your gardens in the fall, you're reducing the problems coming back in your soil the following year. So uh, my philosophy is, you know, roll up your sleeves and do house cleaning in the fall, and it's just a lot easier, too, because the... the material isn't wet and soggy and a mess after it's gone through the winter. Right. Well, when you said you were, the way you were spreading mulch, I was picturing my garden <laughs> and not having cleaned up enough. And I could tell that you must have cleaned up. So um, now we've put down the mulch and the perennials are coming up. But do you do any dividing too before you put down the mulch? Um, I actually. Um... If I get to it, I usually, as far as my divisions, it's for me, it's usually more mid-May. I usually put my mulch down the first or second week of May. This is the timing for our area where I usually get it down. And then anytime until mid-June, it would be ideal if I could do the dividing before mulch, but I usually don't get to it. Mm-hmm. Anytime from into mid-June, I will divide any of my summer and fall blooming perennials so that I can get my divisions done, reset them so that they can go into a natural cycle of bloom um, and get them finished up before mid-June is when I'll do any of my divisions for summer and fall. The other thing I do, and it's contrary, I know, to what most of the books say. I guess I'm a contrary person, but I also divide my spring bloomers in the spring Mm. after they finish blooming. So when my plants are finished blooming and I'm going over to shear off the spent flowers if I'm not interested in, in the, you know, the floral interest or seed heads. I figure I look down, I'm whacking them back, you know, the, the, the dead flowers or the spent flowers. If it's grown too big for that spot or it's just dwindling, it's not producing as many flowers that really would benefit from a division, then I'll just 
take my sharp spade, my butcher knife, dig it up, whack it, and reset pieces in other areas. I always water in any of my divisions with an organic uh, fertilizer like Neptune's Harvest or something like mm-hmm. that to help them go through the, the move and the whacking and reset, and then I just give them that good, wonderful, quick feed of a, um organic liquid fertilizer. My guest today is Carrie Ann Mendez. We call her <laughs> Carrie. Uh, yeah. She's the author of a couple of books, uh, both with top 10 lists. And when I saw the covers of the book first, I thought, well, 10, that's that's not very, very many things. But actually, <laughs> you have <laughs> like 70 top 10 lists. <laughs> and it, it's I think your books are great because especially people who want to just pick something up and find something out right away. Yep. Uh, because it, it, the lists are really helpful. Like you have lists on pruning deciduous flowering shrubs and and on things like dividing and you just mm-hmm. and, and and the best. You know, one of the lists I liked a lot in your top ten ultimate flower gardeners list book it was the short lived perennials because oh. I think a lot of people plant perennials, some perennials, and after two years they don't come back and they think I'm a terrible gardener, or right. or something. Uh, but uh, sometimes that's not the case. Exactly. And, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because for um, for a number of years, I worked at a field-grown perennial center, five acres of rows and rows of perennials that we maintained, we propagated, we sold both for installations as well as to the retail market. And there was always those beds where we knew, these. as we watched them, we could see what happened year after year that are typically just you know, short-lived perennials, and it sounds like an oxymoron. You're like, well, wait a minute, perennials, supposed to live year after year after year. But as you saw on my list that I provided, there are some like flax, um, linum, and I'm trying to think of some others on that list off the top of my head. Gallardia. Gallardia, oh, yeah. Uh, But just really give up the ghost after a couple years. So we have a choice as a consumer. We could say, that's okay. I'm willing to either try to get it to seed or to it and try to get some babies out of it before it gives up the ghost, or I'm willing to treat it somewhat like an annual. But we need to be um, aware of that before we buy the plant so we have the right expectations. And secondly, as I noted in the book, I would never buy any of these plants in gallon pots. I'm going to look for them in four inch if I can. I'm going to reduce my cost to have this short-lived perennial in my garden. So that's that's one. And you know, and it's interesting, Ken, you said this, um, one of the other big groups of perennials that people get very frustrated and I think it's their fault that they killed it are a lot of these newer cone flowers that are coming out. Oh, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I've been sitting here thinking that. <laughs> you know, some of them are such genetic junk. They should never have been released. And then we go around, you know, moping at ourselves thinking we did something. We didn't do anything. We just bought something that should never have come to market from the first, in the first place. So... And actually, I gave in my top 10 list, I do list the top 10, and some of them are even from Mount Cuba Research Center in Delaware, where they did a five-year field study on a lot of these new cultivars to see truly, in Chicago Botanic Garden, which ones really were robust, good-performing coneflowers. Well, we could do a whole show on that. (laughs) (laughs) As you're saying that, I'm I'm thinking of one that uh, I've had I can hardly grow any coneflowers, believe it or not, but I've been growing Green Envy. Have you seen Green Envy? Yes, yes. And that's Great come one. back for me now, three years. Yeah. So uh, that is one. But the, you're right, those mango colors. Well, here today, gone tomorrow. But sometimes 
it's okay if you, as long as you know it, just like you're saying, yeah. because right. we do spend money on annuals and these plants will bloom in the first year. Sometimes you buy them and bloom. Yep. So it's just, you just have to, th it's like delphinium, you know, just uh, think of it as yep. an annual <laughs> or yeah, a biennial. Mm -hmm. You know, there, I don't know if we have time, but there's a tip that I wish the gentleman shared with me that made a huge difference in wintering coneflowers in my garden. And he said that um, my soil, you know, is nice, rich, loamy because I've been using that organic mulch as my uh, weed suppressant for the years. So my soil over the years has gotten nice and healthy and all that. Well, he said, Carrie, one of the things is that I found is your soil is too good for coneflowers. It's uh -huh. so rich, they just can't handle it. We love them to death. Remember, prairie flower, they want that lean, quickly draining, gravelly. Right. And so I started digging out anywhere where I put a sweep of these noon coneflowers. I dig out my great soil, throw it in a different direction, backfill that area with junky, sandy, threw rocks in, anything I could, and then planted the coneflowers. They thrived. They thrived. Never hit them with any fertilizer. They loved that hell strip area that I would create for them. Well, that's, a, that's another thing that you stress in your book, too, is the right plants for the right place. Right. And the, sometimes... And, I wish I had the problem that you just described. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I have very sandy soil, and and uh, I put so much organic matter into it, but uh, it just seems to disappear. It does. It filters right through. It's like the sock getting lost in the dryer, as I say. Where did it go? It just keeps just disappearing. And it's a constant with sandier soils, as you're saying, because of the low fertility and the faster um, drainage through the ground. It is more of a constant thing working to try to bring or keep organic material in that soil. But you also have a choice to work with plants that really thrive in low fertile soil, fast drainage, and there's a lot of them. Um, I did put a whole health strip uh, top 10 list of plants that really want those areas where no one else would bother trying to you know, grow in. So they're plants, it's, again, right plant, right spot, and looking for the ones that can tolerate um, a sandier condition and, and lower fertility. Well, we don't have a lot of time, but uh, tell me a little bit about how you, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you, how can you make beginners feel better? <laughs> because not only are people who want to have flower gardens overwhelmed generally, but they, they do have this sort of thing about it's their fault. You know, they're, they're mm -hmm. frightened. They're frightened yeah. often. So wh what do you say to sort of bring them along and soothe them? And, and what are some of the things you might suggest as starting design or starting soil, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Well, I always, a couple things. Um, I think one of the things that a lot of us skip over and makes such a difference for the health and the quality of our gardens is really stepping back and looking at the light condition of our garden. I'm really understanding, is it a full sun area? Is it part sun? Is it part shade? And um, in my books, I talk about that, but um, and I, I don't know with timing if I can go through all that, and I would be happy to later, but let me just start by saying understanding the light condition because when I find that a lot of people put their plants into the light, they assume they get more sunlight than they do. Mm -hmm. Now what we've done is we've created a stressed plant because it doesn't, if it's not getting the, the, the light for photosynthesis and food and that flower production, whatever we want, we're already setting the plant up for disease problems, um, insect problems, stress. So be honest with your light condition. There's great plants for every light condition. Um, and another thing I would say is this, I would be working with what are many times referred to as workhorse perennials, the good old boys that have been out there. And 
Um, many places have, like your cooperative extension offices, can provide a list of really good, solid workhorse perennials that basically you can drive over, so to speak, and they'll still live. Well, tell me a couple. Right? Tell me a couple that are that work okay. for you. Okay, I would certainly say daylilies, mm-hmm. uh, unless you have high deer brows, but otherwise daylilies are salt tolerant, drought tolerant, incredibly forgiving. Um, I would also say uh, yarrow. Um, Achillea, there's a whole new series of yarrow that came out that have totally changed my mind about them. I used to think they were a little thuggish, but the new seduction series of yarrow that have come out hmm. have incredible rebloom, stiff stems, tight, compact crowns that slowly get bigger from the base. Amazing yarrow. It can take hot, dry, scrappy soil and great production right through the fall. I'd also say sedum, you know, the good old... Uh, Sedum Autumn Joy that everyone has. I'm kind of though likening Sedum Autumn Joy to the Daily Stella Diora. I mean, like we all have Autumn Joy, and there are many other cool sedums out there that can bring us even more color and interest from foliage and stems than good old Autumn Joy. But point is, any in that sedum, that succulent sedum group, are great workhorse plants to use in the garden. And there's another one um, that was perennial of the year. 2008, Geranium Roseanne. You probably have that one, Ted, don't you? Uh Isn't it? It's a great, hardy blue geranium, blue-purple, depending on how you see the color, that blooms from mid-June, starts a little later than other hardy geraniums, and goes right through the fall. Constant bloom, and the reason why? It's totally sterile, Mm -hmm. so it's not trying to go to seed. It just wants to blast those flowers right through the season with no deadheading. That's another, you know a very easy-to-grow, hardy geranium that will bring you long color. It's funny that uh, we don't have much time, but I'll just tell you anecdotally, my geranium roseanne, I have several, I have about five different plants, and they seem to take a year off. I'll have one that's big and beautiful and blooming, and another one four feet away is a small plant with a few flowers. Then the next year they switch. Uh, so I guess it's a good idea to have more than one. But that's a, that's the case with almost all of these perennials is no polka dots, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no single right. plants. Thank you. That's a very good point. You know, another person put it as gumdrop gardening, mm-hmm. all these different ones of ones of everything. And it's, it's OK to have some ones. I'm not saying that. But if you do a lot of gumdrops or polka dots, it gets dizzying after a while and it's much more maintenance because every plant you're doing different things at different times versus creating more sweeps of the same plant. So whatever procedure is needed, if you need to do something with a plant, it's a, you know, flack. You can go through all of them, one, two, three, versus changing tools, changing methods. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, as you're talking about some of these plants, I'm remembering that I don't have all that much sun in any parts of my garden. And you have mm-hmm. a book also, Top Ten Lists for Beautiful Shade Gardens, Seeing Your Way Out of the Dark. So, And these books are all for zones three through seven, which right. is pretty much just about everything. <laughs> in our region, yeah, kind of the northeast, mid-Atlantic states, yeah. And uh, I congratulate you on both books, and they're they're very handy, handy yeah. to have. And uh, I'm sure someday I'll run into you because you're speaking all over the place. And, <laughs> yeah. and I hope that your cold gets better. Oh, thank you. And I want to thank you very much for being my guest today. Thank you very much, Ken. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. Well, it's that time of year again. I mentioned that Carrie 
uh, is going to be speaking different places around the country. And you can see that on her website, which is P yours, like perennial yours, pyours.com. We'll have a link on the Ken Drew's Real Dirt website as well. And I'm going to be speaking around the country, uh, starting at the Philadelphia Flower Show uh, on Sunday. This is 2012, March 4th, 2012. And I'm going to be in Oklahoma City and in Columbia, South Carolina. And if you go to my website, kendrews.com, you can see a list of all the places that I'm going to be appearing this spring. And there's like eight of them. Uh, there's two in New Jersey and, oh, well, they're all over the place. And I hope you can come and say hello and meet me and take a look at the new book, Natural Companions. Uh, I did a radio show with Ellen Hoverkamp, my partner in that production. And uh, join me again next week for another show, Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show, and another guest. See you then. <laughs>